this is Stacy at ClarityUnleashed.com, and I'm recording today about Hagar. I ran into a video this morning on um, Twitter, actually. It's a movie video that's going to be released in a couple of days, but right now it's released as a song. It's about 11 minutes long. It's called The God Who Sees, and it is recorded by Nicole Mullen, and this is a project that Nicole and Kathy Lee Gifford have um, have completed. And I believe that all of the filming is done in Israel. So it's all done in the Holy Land. And Nicole is the is the actress in the movie. She's the one that's singing this beautiful song. And it's all about, well, it starts with Hagar. And she is the one who names God, the God who sees. So it starts with her. And then it, it goes into the story of Ruth. And then it also touches on the story of Mary Magdalene and um, ends with Mary Magdalene's experience seeing Christ crucified. And um, it's, it's, a, it's just beautiful. Like I've listened to it three times already today and we'll probably listen to it three more times. It's just beautiful. I think I've said it, I know I've said it online, but I, coming into 2019, you know how some people declare words over their years, I just had a sense um, that this was going to be the year where women's voices and the Bible became more clear to us, where we just um, were able to see and understand their stories and apply them to our lives. I feel like um, understanding and finding similarities between ourselves and women of the Bible, it's just so pivotal in, in understanding our relationship with God. And that's my bunny in the background, by the way. And I'm, I'm not able to do all this cool editing on my podcast. So you're, if you hear something banging around, my bunny is um, remodeling her, her, her cage. Anyway, so 2019 has been a year that I've kept a particular book on the on the end table. And I encourage you in addition to checking out Nicole Mullins song and looking at the video that they release in a couple days. This book that's edited by Sandra Glahn, G-L-A-H-N, is one you should order. And it's called Vindicating the Vixens. The subtitle is Revisiting Sexualized, Vilified, and Marginalized Women of the Bible. It doesn't always happen, but a lot of times the stories that we hear of women in the Bible are just that. Um, the women are are described in sexual terms, like with their sexual sins, or um, other sins that they've committed as, as we view them through that filter. And, and often we just don't hear anything about them. And, you know, there are any number of reasons why. But one of the main reasons is that we do not have a lot of women in the pulpits. So although we do make up at least half, if not more, of congregations, um, women's voices in churches today are largely silent. Uh, and as a result, we hear more from men about 
men's stories in the Bible, and those are all great stories. Um, and they're all we can all identify with aspects of men in the Bible, but it's also nice to hear from from women. So I want to tell you a little bit about the story of Hagar, and um, and and why it has impacted me so much today, and in a new way, in a new perspective. And you, if you if you get this book, um, Vindicating the Vixens, then Hagar's story is in chapter eight. And so I, I do encourage you to take a look at the story, at the chapter, in its entirety. Uh, but it's written by Tony Malouf, Ph.D., and it's several pages long, and it talks about all aspects of this story in Genesis 16. And um, basically, the, I mean, the highlights are that Hagar's an Egyptian slave, so she's basically... Um, in cultural terms, she's property. And uh, because of Sarah's inability to, and she's property of Abraham and Sarah. And because of Sarah's inability to conceive, Sarah actually gives Hagar, who's her slave, gives her to Abraham. And he, um, her, her, and her title changes from slave to something that's more like a concubine wife. And in in fact, she does become pregnant. And even though that was uh, fine from a cultural perspective, obviously you can imagine putting yourself in this situation that Sarah would be not entirely pleased with the fact that the man that she is married to now has another wife who's pregnant. Um, There are all kinds of emotions wrapped in that, I'm sure. And she's not happy. And she ends up taking her unhappiness out on Hagar and its abusive or treacherous behavior against her to the point that Hagar flees. Now, Hagar may be a slave. Um, She's an Egyptian slave. She's far from home. Uh, We don't know the status of her family or, or anything like that, but her very well-being depends on Abraham and Sarah, and she gets to the point that she leaves this behind and she flees. Um, And she doesn't have a place to go, but she goes into the wilderness, it says, and she ends up at a well in the wilderness. So there she is lost at a well, and God finds her. And the word for find, it says in this chapter, is a word that means more than just locate. It actually means that God turned her heart to him. So she becomes a believer uh, of God in this, in this finding. Um, it's more than just a locational finding. He, he divinely touches her and she becomes his. And that's, that's the first thing to um, think about is when she is lost, he finds her. Um, he is actually uh, there to remind her that he hears her cries and he knows what she's going through. And he acknowledges her pregnancy and then, and then names her son Ishmael. He says, you're going to have a son and his name will be Ishmael. And that means God hears. So what that means for Hagar is that every time she sees her son and she calls out his name, she now is reminding herself of this moment when she was in the wilderness, 
lost and God found her. So that's pretty cool. I mean, that's just beautiful. Not only that, but um, in that in that moment, Hagar also names God. She gives God a name, which is El Roy. And that means the God who sees, the God who sees me. Um, and she's the only one that ever gave God a name, which makes her story one that we should we should hear more often, I believe. How often has that happened? No other time. She's the one that gave God a name. Um, the God who sees. So not only is he telling her, I hear you, but she's saying, you see me. And all of this, I felt lost. I, I, I ran away and you found me. The other thing that, <clears throat> that was interesting to me is at the very beginning of the scene, when she's at the swell, God um, the angel of the Lord asks her where she came from and where she is going. It reminded me of earlier in Genesis when, after the fall, when Adam and Eve are hiding from God and he calls out to them, where are you? Obviously, he's God. He knows where they are and he knows where she is and he knows where she's been and he knows where she's going. But he specifically asks her that question. And that's something to mark in your journal. Like God is asking her, where have you been and where are you going? So after the naming of her son and after she gives God a name, he directs her to go back to Abraham and Sarah. Um, and he, he tells her in the naming of her son, very similar to what Abraham heard, that he, he tells Hagar that she is going to um, bring forth um, just a multitude of descendants. Very similar language to what Abraham was told. Obviously, because she's part of that covenant blessing. She, she is part of how uh, Abraham's descendants are going to multiply. So she, she doesn't ask any questions. She doesn't complain about having been abused by Sarah. Like she, there's no, nothing scriptural there that, that indicates that she uh, has anything to say. And I just would have to put myself in her shoes and think, you know, when God tells you what to do, you, how, you do it. <laughs> you just do it. And I see myself in that as well. Um, she heads back to Abraham and Sarah. She gives birth. And 13 years later, Sarah gives birth. And what happens after a few years is that Sarah then tells her to leave. Um, she flees again. And there's, you know, because Ishmael was the firstborn son um, <clears throat> in that society, there's a lot of implications to that. And, and um, Sarah wanted him out of the picture, they, they leave, Hagar and Ishmael leave. He is 13 years old. And um, they're, they again are in the wilderness and they are exhausted after fleeing 
it gets to the point that Hagar believes that he is going to die, that Ishmael is going to die, and he takes cover in this um, under the shade of this plant. Uh, and again, she cries out to God, and, and again, he comes to her, and God hears her, and God sees her, and he opens her eyes and shows her a well, and from that well, she's able to get the water that she needs to keep her son and to keep her alive. And um, <clears throat> it's just a beautiful, it's, an enti- it's just a beautiful story. Uh, so as I was reading this chapter today in Genesis and then this chapter eight in Sandra Glahn's, um book, I really, uh, exactly what I'm saying about identifying with biblical characters, that's exactly what happened to me. I had this moment of seeing myself in her story, um, and I hadn't, I hadn't before. So, I want to share that with you um, because it's not just my story; it's also the story of a lot of women that I know uh, online and that I've met in person. So, my separation was due to emotional and verbal abuse. And it was something that happened for a really long period of time, many years. And it also was something that I did not realize for many years. I think at a particular point, my eyes became more clear to what was happening around me. And I have always equated that to kind of Paul's situation that we read in scripture when the scales began falling from his eyes. At some point, God showed me um, more and more, um, and, and the scales began falling out of my eyes, and I began to see my situation for what it was. Um, for me, I mean, I, it's years that that I it took to separate and I'm only recently divorced so it took literally three plus years for this all to unravel it was a long time a long time of separation and a long time of um, wandering in a wilderness for me one of the things that happened to me was what I equate to and I describe as losing my voice. I felt like I had lost my voice in my marriage. I could not express myself, um, my dreams, my thoughts, my opinions. Um, I could not, I, I, I just didn't have a voice anymore because I would be met with opposition over very small things and very large things. And over time, I just quit giving him access to that part of me. And so over time, I just lost my voice. And um, part of my recovery in the separation and in the divorce, and even now, I'm still in the recovery of, of finding my voice again. So as I hear Hagar's story, I actually can see myself in it because I, I did. I felt like I was in a wilderness 
I was lost. The people that had cared for me, I'm not saying I was a slave, but where I was, where I lived, the people, the family that I was in, um, I was I was part of that until I wasn't any longer at the point that I expressed what was happening. Um, no one wanted to hear that. And and I couldn't find any support there. So not only with my husband, but with other members of the family, um, my story wasn't a valued story, my situation and how I felt the impact on me wasn't important. Um, and that was tough. And I did feel like I was in a wilderness and I, I did have people that supported me Thankfully, my, my mom and my family, um, I had, I met women that were in similar situations and began to form a safe network. But it's kind of like having the rug pulled out from under you. And I say all that to say that I do see that I was kind of in that wilderness and fleeing. I, I was fleeing a way of life that I knew and a relationship that I knew was, was destructive just like Hagar did. And in that fleeing, the only person that I could, that I was fully honest with and angry with and that I questioned that, that was God. I, I didn't have a problem arguing with God. I had many arguments with him. I, I wondered if he understood what I was going through. I asked him why? Why am I going through this? Why have, why have you put me through this? Do you not realize what's happening? Um, and I did cry out to him. And you know what else? He, he, he listened. And he, I, he, he showed me that he saw me. And at a very pivotal moment during um, a period of fasting at my church, I prayed. I set aside that time of fasting to pray for direction. And similarly to um, Hagar, at, at a point, God told her to go back. And that was my plea. What do I do? And God told me to go, to move. And I did. Like, I didn't question him. The minute I... I heard and started acting on that direction, I felt complete peace, and I'm sure Hagar did too. In fact, in the chapter, um, the author says that in the text, you can tell like she, further interactions and, and the passage about Hagar would indicate that she wasn't ever questioning or anything like that. That's exactly how I felt. I got clear direction and I acted on that direction. Um, and for God to ask her, where were you and where are you going? That's, I've, I, I, I still think of that as one of the main ideas that I have had to sort of um, journal about and think about. And I'm not exactly sure that I'm done. I know I'm not done with it yet, but 
just just being able to put into perspective who am I, where have I been, and where am I headed? It's not. It's it's a um, it's a deep. It's a very it seem it's might seem like it's surface level, but it's not. I think if you really sit with that one and journal about it, like who are you and where have you been and what what is next? And I share this next thing because it's something that helped me put in perspective. I remember in counseling one of the things that I brought forth was I received a a, a um just a, an image once during the counseling process um, in prayer, I received an image in my head of me writing um, a, on a piece of paper, like there was a piece of paper and it was things about me as a person, uh, my passions and um, my desires and my fears and who, what those moments in my life that really made me who I am and my dreams for the future. And in that moment, I realized and I, I saw, what I saw was that my husband would hand me a blank piece of paper if I asked him to do that. If I asked him to write a, on a page of paper what really made me tick as a person, who I really was. Like, who who are you? Where have you been? And where are you going? He he could not, and I knew he could not. And that that was something that weighed on my heart and told me that it wasn't a relationship that I was in. But um, God could. That's what that showed me in that moment. Was I was expecting. Um, my husband to be able to tell me more about my identity, he was unable to, which that in and of itself, it, it, that in and of itself indicated um, something about the situation. But it also, at a deeper level, reminded me that no matter what was happening in my marriage, and no matter how I felt like I had been lost, that God could hand me a, a just a, a full piece of paper and everything about myself was known to him. And that made all the difference in the world. So for Hagar to have this heart-changing divine interaction at a well with this God that she didn't know before, um, but now was completely known to her, and she realized that she was completely known to him to the point that she names God, you're the one that sees me. In a, in a life in which she felt completely lost, um, she was property. She wasn't even a person. She was, she was property. And, what, and some of what had happened to her was because of commands that were made to her and um, she, here she was and in the presence of a God that loved her and knew her and saw her and and gave her promise for her future and 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 then reminded her of that promise and the naming of her son and then reminded her again when he met her years later again in the wilderness so I just wanted to 
I felt like I wanted to record this today and just um, show you and demonstrate to you exactly what it is that I'm 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 saying today that seeing these stories in the Bible of women and what they went through is so important and hearing about them and teaching them is so important because it enables women today to identify with other daughters of God to see how he works in their lives and to show how much he cares for us and he sets us apart for very special work in the kingdom and how our identities even as conflicted as we may feel sometimes and as dark as the wilderness gets and being exhausted and um, dehydrated and just almost at the point of death sometimes that he remembers us and that he sees us and that he hears us So I just want to close in prayer real quick because I feel like that's just the right thing to do right now. And then I'm going to close out this and just want to say thank you for listening. Um, Heavenly Father, I just love how you demonstrate your love for us in the Bible. I just pray, Lord, that we would be able to find um, in your word those stories that will change our lives, um, those stories that will bring us peace about our situations and our own wildernesses that we walk through that will remind us of your glory and your love for us, um, that you're in every detail of our lives, that even at when we feel the most oppressed and when we feel the least like ourselves, you can bring us back and remind us of our identity and that it's not in whether we're a slave or if we have children or where we live, um, none of that matters to you. Um, our identity is in you. Those things don't, don't, um, don't identify us. You identify us. Um, but it's so easy in this world, God, to just let these other things just take control of our minds. And I just thank you, God, for your word, that your word is just so complete from Old Testament to New Testament. It's all tied together, and it's just as applicable to us today as it was then. Um, thank you so much, God, for your provision and your care for us. And I just pray that you would raise up um, teachers and leaders in your church um, at all levels who are going to pay attention to the voices of women and are going to raise them up to the women in your church today who desperately need direction and need to see your care and love for your daughters throughout time. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.